Welcome to Just Checking In. I'm Becky Buckman. And I'm Kiana Corliss. Each week, we'll use humor, a little irony, and definitely some self-deprecation to dive into the world of high-tech corporate comms. We'll use our expertise and less-than-serious take on the tech news cycle to bring you the best in the business across comms and media for one-of-a-kind insights and perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Get ready to laugh and maybe even start a tweet thread. This is Just Checking In. This week, we have a really meaty interview with a tech comms pro, Gina Shibley, who is the chief communications officer for Qualtrics. A ton of learnings in there. But before we go there, Kiana, we got to talk about the PR news of the week, right? This is my favorite story of all time. So you guys all know, I think I've talked about Peloton in every episode. You're addicted to so Peloton. You're, yeah, it comes up every time. <laughs> it literally comes up every time. And then they have like the greatest response to a crisis communications situation ever. So if you've been living under a rock, spoiler alert, big dies in Sex in the City's But reboot. I heard, but like the Sex in the City reboot, I haven't seen it. It's supposed to be pretty bad. So I wouldn't oh, worry horrible. about the spoiler alert. Don't so worry big about dies. it. Don't watch it. Let me help yeah. you guys. Don't watch it. It's okay. trash. And I'm a huge Sex in the City fan. It was trash. So big dies, but he dies from a Peloton class that's done by <laughs> Jess King. And apparently Peloton did not know how they were going to use it. I think they just thought this was really good product placement, which it probably was until it was How wasn't. does that happen? How does I that don't happen? know. I mean, I'm sure at a certain point they're like, we're not going to tell you confidentiality and your Peloton. I mean, I actually tried to think like, what would I do in that situation? And I probably would have let them run with it. I wouldn't right. have like pulled Peloton for confidentiality. So then... 48 hours from the time that this dropped, they put together a like 30 second spot or however long it was with Big himself, Jess King, the instructor about him being alive. And Ryan Reynolds does the voiceover and they remind people that exercise is actually good for your heart. (laughs) And And it it doesn't kill you. Yeah. It literally broke the internet. And I have just never been so impressed. It ever. was the biggest like crisis jujitsu move I have ever seen. I mean, how you get Chris Noth, right? And the instructor <laughs> and you do this high quality 30 second shot. And it, and it just completely answered all the critics who were saying to Peloton, how on earth could you let this happen to you? You know, and it was the perfect answer. I've never been so impressed by a crisis communications response ever. And then my favorite part of this was... They tweeted, if we can pull that spot together in 48 hours, you have time for your workout today. They literally trolled you. <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. All right. So long way of saying we hope we're I think we're trying to get somebody from Peloton on the podcast. So that would be great. Yes. Super, super keen to get her on. And then we're actually chatting with Amanda Duckworth later this week that we're actually talking to her for an episode that's going to drop in January. So the crew of people that are coming through are just exceptional. I thought Gina was amazing. She talks a lot about building a team, working with agencies, I mean, work-life balance stuff and burnout in a way that I thought was super interesting and her take on the market. So I'm, I'm excited for this episode too. Yeah, I think I think the organization that that Gina has built and is still building and where she is in her career, I think offers a lot of lessons to other people in our industry. And she's she's a great person to get to know and to learn from. And you guys, did you work together briefly? We did. So she uh, when she was at Salesforce, she was the SVP of comms and Salesforce acquired Tableau and I was running comms at Tableau. And so for like six weeks, four weeks, however long that like craziness was, we got to work with each other. And uh, we stayed in touch because she is a class act, you guys. I mean, she's a phenomenal comms professional. 
Yeah. And as we point out in the pod, because the future of work is something that um, kind of underpins everything we do, she actually moved to Utah for this Qualtrics job, which is interesting from the Bay Area. So people are yeah. still doing that. Apparently. They sure are. People want to ski. Yeah. Right. That's the only reason she moved to Utah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen, um, after two, we've had a couple of journalists on the pod, and now we've got somebody from our own industry teaching us a lot. So I'm psyched to listen to Gina. Yeah, let's do it. So, so excited to have Gina Shively on our podcast. Gina is the chief communications officer of a super, super hot tech company called Qualtrics. And actually, Gina and I met a few years ago. And so we got to be in the thick of all things corporate comms. She's one of the best in the biz. So welcome, Gina. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. We didn't have enough time together. I know. Those acquisitions happen real fast. <laughs> I know, they do. But I knew from the start that I liked you. I knew we were kindred spirits. So. Oh, you're so nice. Well, so we have a whole bunch of things we wanted to talk about. I know, I know. Well, Gina, as you know, you know, we're talking to both comms professionals as well as journalists on this show, just kind of trying to get insights from both sides of the comms equation about covering this crazy market and getting coverage in this crazy market. More craziness this week with Omicron. I think all our SaaS stocks are selling off. One of the things maybe we could start with is you've got a really big job at Qualtrics. You're the CCO, and I'm sure team building has been a big issue for you. And that's something I think that a lot of us kind of struggle with. Um, maybe we could just talk a little bit about your philosophy about team building, and maybe you could talk about what you've done at Qualtrics and some of your previous jobs too. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree. Team building is hard and team building is super important. And um, I joined Qualtrics in the pandemic. I remember thinking when the pandemic hit, I'd hear about people who are changing jobs. Like, who are these crazy people changing jobs in the pandemic? And then I became one of them. When I interviewed, you know, I never met anyone in person, actually. And most of the interviews I did were across the company. I didn't meet many people from my team. And I like to say that you know, what pulled me into Qualtrics was, you know, first it was the technology. It was what we do around experience management and really helping people connect with each other. Coming from Salesforce for eight and a half years, like I really do understand the power of connecting with people and this whole notion of just asking them how they feel about something and then taking action intrigued me. And then I started meeting the executives and I was hooked. And then I got there and I met my team and I was like, wow, this is the most awesome team ever. Just have really great people. It was a small team. And they all reported directly to me initially. Um, and this was like, I joined the week before we IPO'd. And I think they were the greatest surprise gift that I had. And at the same time, I was like, we need to grow this team because most people um, were sort of more in the middle of their careers, early to middle of their careers. And, you know, I have, um, I like to think big when it comes to, to PR and comms. And I was like, all right, we got to go. We got to get people in here who are going to um, make a difference. So for me, particularly with this team, I was like, culture first. Like we will take our time and we will wait and we will, hi we will hire people that will enable us to maintain this culture of teamwork, of trust, of having each other's backs. And that's not always easy because there are some people that are like going to get the work done and be amazing. But it's like, okay, is this the right fit? And so I think I nearly doubled the team this year from where I started. We brought some things together, some different groups together, but nearly doubled the team just by internally bringing people and then bringing new people in. And how big is it now, Gina? People would love to know. Oh my gosh. So I think our team is somewhere around 20, 20, 
24, I think it is 24 people. And then next year, by the end, I'd like to be 40. But we brought together a lot, right? It, it was originally just PR and AR. And then we brought in internal comms, we brought in some comms designers, we formed an executive communications function. And I knew coming in, I was like, we need to create the team for scale. It's different than just PR. Communications is not, is not just PR. It's like all the things you just mentioned, like exec comms and internal comms and crisis comms. One of the questions that I get a ton from people is when do you build in-house and when do you go get an agency and sort of that balance? I was at Tableau for many years where we didn't have an agency. We just had a big team. And then now I actually have a small team in-house and an awesome agency outside. So what's sort of your thoughts on that? And what should people be thinking about when they're sort of thinking about growing their team versus getting, you know, external help? Yeah. Well, I'd say I've always had agencies purely for scalability at least initially. So I think the situation you're describing and where we were with Qualtrics, I'm like, I need the scale, right? If, if you have a small team um, and you're not able to grow it to the size that you need, you need the scalability of people being able to dial up and dial down um, when we have something big going on. And so, you know, my philosophy on that is when you're looking for scale, an agency is the best way to go. And in the, the most bang for your buck, and I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, Qualtrics now is the smallest company that I've worked for outside of a PR agency. So I've never been in those super scrappy one or two person startup days. But I think even still for what we were going through with the IPO, for example, our team was still very small, very scrappy people are in many hats. And so I do believe when you're trying to go for scale and you are a fast growth company, it's, it can be difficult to hire as fast as you need to get the work done. So I'm, I'm an agency gal. I love having great agency partners. We have a core agency and then we work with some specialty agencies here and there, like we have a data agency. We work with an agency on more of our like crisis comms and financial stuff. So I am a big believer in scale. And I tend to also think of the agency as kind of delivering the two sides, right? I'm a, I'm a media person. I like to have those relationships. I like my team to have those relationships. And so I think that, um, you know, some agencies might not like working with a client like that, but I do think being able to like on the ground pitch, give us that in outside in perspective and then where we need it, the executive strategic council. So I'm kind of all about like, who are the junior people that can help be arms and legs and extend the value of the team. And then the people who can offer counsel to me, because sometimes it can be lonely, Kiana, right? Like if you're sort of there on your own and, and you're the leader, like, who am I going to go to for advice on this? Who, who's my sounding board? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was actually, I'm going to send this podcast over to my people. Be like, she's got almost 24 people. I've got four. <laughs> <laughs> me too. We're in the same boat. <laughs> well, I have, I have executive engagement, which is a team that sort of supports all the top relationship, customer relationships for our CEO and our founder. And then we have internal, which I'm trying to grow. Um, it's global. So I have I have grown the team um, definitely over time and and brought people together. When it was when it was really just PR and corp comms, it was it was a team of about seven people. So still bigger. <laughs> what about tips for? I think this is maybe the natural next question, which is tips for managing agencies because I think that's something that at least a lot of business executives don't often uh, get as as much as we do that you can have the greatest agency but if it's not managed well it's the relationship will not be successful yeah I and I think you know you'll probably find people you know when you post this podcast being like I worked with her she doesn't know because <laughs> uh, I think you know some of it's hit, it's hit and miss how you manage an agency but I think I'll say what I've learned over time is if you're working with a great agency, 
what you put in is what you get out. Hundred percent. And so I think there there are some people who are like, oh, I want to hold this close to the vest and have the agency do this arms and leg work. And it's like, nah, you got to see the agency as an extension of your team and give them the opportunity to be successful. So make sure they know what's happening in the company. Make sure they know the, you know, where the warts are even and what's coming up. And I think sometimes we forget, right? We think of ourselves like we're going to go to these meetings, we're going to devise a strategy, and then we're going to tell the agency, and it it doesn't get you the best, right? You got to bring them in. You have to have those conversations. You have to get people ready. Cause if you're constantly just dropping bombs on them and saying, okay, go pitch this, go come up with a list and pitch it. You're not going to get the most out of your agency at all. I think what we forget when you come in house, and this is why I always hire people that have been at an agency. Cause I, I feel like it's, you have to have worked at an agency. hundred percent. I think what you forget when you're in house is that yeah. they are not thinking of your company day and night. Like all I think about all day is data bricks, like all day long. And this podcast, obviously, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's all I think about all day long. And everything I care about <laughs> is data bricks and they have like six of us, right? Like some of these junior guys mm-hmm. are on like six, clients. Yep. And so it's not fair to think that they're going to come up with the same stuff if they don't have the context you do. And I think that's sort of what you're you're getting at is like, they have to know it as well as you do. Yeah. They have to have context. And I also think, you know, if you have the right agency, yeah. exposing them to your stakeholders, right? It also really helps them understand what we're going through because I find a lot of times the agency, well, it's not a lot, we're the client. So they're really thinking about how can I please this particular person? I think what you actually want your agency thinking about and your agency part is like, how can I do the best possible thing for this, this company and this client? And so I think by having that exposure and bringing people in and kind of creating an extension of your team for the right people, um, it enables them to think differently about the job um, and to think about the actual business value of the work that we're, they're doing versus us kind of having to translate it into those terms. And so I, I really do think it's you, you give, you get what you put in, you get what you give um, and making sure that you spend the time. You know, I think all of us have had those agency relationships where like, you're just doing the work, you're meeting, you're talking about the work. You're never stopping to do that one-on-one with one of the executives on the team or the leaders to say, okay, this is directionally where we're going. Help me figure out how we can partner to get there. And it, it's not always easy, but I think it's really important to do. Yeah. Two things that came up. One is when you were hired at Qualtrics, was it for a CCO position or was it a different title and you lobbied for that title? Because what I'm finding is, you know, like Kiana, I operate mostly in a B2B world and I'm finding that CCO titles are probably more prevalent in a B2C world. And so I'm always surprised when one of our companies has a chief communications officer. No, I didn't lobby for it. You know, I was very content at Salesforce, I'll I'll say. Like I I was there for eight and a half years. I think I still have some Salesforce blue running through my veins. I loved it. And I really grew up there. I started as an individual contributor. And then uh, by the end was leading um, gold PR and corporate communications. So um, I was really looking for the right role. But I also was like, okay, this is an opportunity to really feel um, like I'm, I'm being valued at the level that I think I am. So I'm all about negotiating. I'm all about looking for it. But um, the the title that they offered me was CCO. And I had, there was a discussion early on of like, we're not sure what the title of this is. And I was like, all right, well, you know, keep me posted. And I think coming into a situation like that where, um, you know, I, I felt I feel like when you get a new job, it's your one opportunity to feel like you're stepping into like kind of this awesome newness, right? Being the the sort of shiny penny. And so um, I didn't lobby for it. Um, and I do, I report to the CEO, which was also something important to me coming in um, to Qualtrics. I think so often, you know, 
if you work at a larger company and you're, it can be easy to be in your silo too, similar to an agency. It can be similar to like, okay, we're doing comms for the sake of comms. And I think for me and leading my team, having that access, being on a, a member of the executive team, being able to um, bring back the conversations that are happening at the strategic level for the business and really helping my team understand that so we can align what we're doing to business priorities is was really important to me. I do think that two things. One is from what you're saying is I think number one, the the companies with the best comms are the ones that give their comms people a seat at the table and they're not just an execution arm. And so for that, I actually think we're going to start seeing more CCOs in the B2B space. I think we're we're late too. to yeah. the party for an, a myriad of different reasons. For one thing, like B2B marketing was not nearly as strong as B2C marketing forever. And then that sort of caught up. But, um, you know, I do actually think that, you know, Gina trendsetter that she is, is, <laughs> I, I think we're going to see more of them. Huge trendsetter. Hey, listen, I'm hoping you're a trendsetter. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying. I mean, and I worked for, I worked for a great CCO at um, Salesforce before I left. And I think seeing the way he led, seeing, you know, him have that seat at the table, it really helped our team, right? It helped me in my job. And I was like, okay, that's a great gift that I can give to my team here and, and really make sure that we are aligned to the business. And I do think, you know, it's not arrogant to say, but like, I do think comms is very highly valued at, at Qualtrics. And that was another important thing to me. It's, it's sort of a signal of like, how the company views communications. Gina and I had an interesting conversation. I would love to have it here as Mm -hmm. well about just the craziness that is our jobs specifically, like comms people. And there's a lot of talk out in the industry about work-life balance and mental health and all this stuff with your employees. But our jobs specifically are very unique in that, number one, we fly very close to the sun typically, no matter you know, where you are, comms does fly close to the sun, which is awesome, but it's also, it's very warm up there. (laughs) Yeah. It's downright scorching. And so, you know, and then you bring that together with the fact that we're in in tech, which is like the craziest industry ever. And then we've got a pandemic and we're all trying to figure this all out. And a lot of us are, you know, we are the one place in tech that's, you know, pretty woman focused is actually comms. Um, And so, you know, really thinking about how do we have that balance? Like for me, I feel a lot of times like I'm doing a hundred things poorly. I'm doing a hundred things, but not well. Gina, I think you had some like really interesting insights into sort of that, that paradigm that we're all in. By nature, I I think you have to be a bit of an adrenaline junkie to be like a comms leader and a comms person, because you're there for the biggest, most important, amazing moments, the company you're there for the most terrible things like, you know, working on communications. And I think, um, it's, it, to me, it's a role where there's a lot of burnout, whether people like endure it or not, you know, you see it with people. And I think, um, you know, I, the, one of the reasons you and I were talking about this is like, just, I talked to a lot of people on my team who are like, I'm feeling burnt out. You know, what, what should I be doing? What can I think about? And I think one thing that's tough for us is like, we start to get into like crisis mode all the time where it's like you fly close to the sun, you have these big things, you're in code red. And like we allow everything to become sort of like this, you know, big moment. And so for me, I think recognizing what's essential and what needs to be done. And then having like giving yourself permission when it's not one of those moments to like, take a, take a break. Like if you have a spot in your day where you've been grinding for a few days and the next day you've got, an hour free at a random time, which I don't know why, like 
being at home, if I get on my Peloton at like 10, I'm like, this feels wrong. But I, I fight myself on it, right? Because I'm like, could, what else should I be doing? But it's like, we have to take care of ourselves. And I think recognizing the times when like, yes, this is time sensitive and we've got to like really grind on this and knowing where to separate those those times where it's not and giving you know your team and yourself permission to say, this isn't one of those things that I need to do a 6 p.m. meeting on. So I'm going to say no and propose a new time tomorrow because I don't need to cut into my family time. I think once I had kids, which I have a five-year-old, a two-year-old, I just started blocking my calendar mm-hmm. at 5.30. I was like, what? if something needs to be done at 5.30, then like everyone in my family is going to understand that this is a one-off and we're dealing with something. And so, but otherwise I would just find myself particularly pre-kids when I had a lot of time, like, sure, I'll just do the meeting whenever the meeting's scheduled. And I think people are doing that everywhere. And I think you have to protect your space to ensure that you can perform. Like, how are you going to best perform? If that means taking 30 minutes in the middle of the day and taking care of yourself, if that means like being able to shut off at six and have dinner with your kids uninterrupted, you got to do it. Um, and I, I think that's something that I've learned over time, probably out of necessity, because I did have children a little bit later in life. I sent notes to a ton of people where I was like, I'm so sorry for that 9 a.m. meeting that I changed to 8 a.m. at the last minute. I get it now. You know, I, I, I definitely did some things where I was like, oh, you are the worst ever. But really being able to own it, you know, own your schedule as much as you can when you can. In some ways, the pandemic has been a blessing and a curse in this regard, right? Like it's a, you know, I've got a team member who's having a baby in two months and I'm thinking like, wow, in some ways this is good because one, no one needs to know she's pregnant on Zoom, right? You know, which is kind of liberating and amazing for women. Two, if she has to take the baby to the doctor, if the baby's sick, like no one's probably going to know, right? But on the other hand, what I find myself doing is I'm just, I think I'm working way harder during the pandemic. I mean, I get up, I'm dealing with Europe, right? Dealing with the East Coast. You you guys have been in that position before. So I think it is more difficult in some sense to find that sense of balance when you're at home. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, in one sense it is because you can work endlessly, right? I mean, I think I'm sitting in my bedroom on my laptop, which, you know, it's always there. And I think that it's the pandemic has allowed me to do things like, yeah, I am sitting also, you know, two doors down from my Peloton and you can get away with some things in terms of like how much you get ready. Um, (laughs) The standards for what ready is when you're getting on a zoom call where you can blur the appearance a little bit versus going to an office are slightly different, but yes, you can get caught in this trap of like, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll work all the time. And I think many of us, myself included, like learn to really block that day and be like, where, what is going to help me perform the best, be the best manager. If I'm having this constantly having calls from five to six and I've got to hop off and get there, like, am I going to be my best self? No. And, and I really do try to own, own my own perf- like performance. I just keep saying that, but I do think it is a little bit like an athlete. It's like, we have jobs to do what's going to bring out the best. And obviously we can't do exactly what we want to, but how are you carving out those moments to ensure that you're not burning out and you're in it for the long haul. Like, I just think it's super important. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. I think that's the best advice, especially for, for our profession where at any moment, I mean, your, your day, life, week, month. I mean, I remember I was um, putting my bike back in my car when I got a call that, you know, we were being acquired and I was like, well, there, and we were leaving for vacation the next day. And I was like, well, this is now, this is what I'm going to be doing on vacation now. And and so those happen and, and you can't be in comms if you're not like able to 
do that, but you know, handle that. And that just is what it is. So if you don't um, take it when you can, and if you don't, you know, I've always said, be completely unapologetic for like, I never apologize for the fact that I have kids. Like I have kids, they have sports, they have to be at school, I have to whatever, you know? And so I've, you know, you take calls from where you can. And I think not apologizing for that. You know, my mom used to say, she goes, when I was working, I had to work like I didn't have kids and I had to have kids like I didn't work. And she Mm -hmm. did to her credit. And I think nowadays, you know, a lot of us are, and and this is for men and women, to be fair, just not apologizing for like, hey, I've got I got to take, you know, my kids this place. I think particularly as a leader and as a female leader, you know, I I was definitely one of those people who, when I had a baby, I was like, I got, I had something to prove, right? Like I breastfed for 15 months because I was going to be as good as all the stay-at-home moms. And I was like, I will work. I mean, I was like not sleeping. And then I don't remember what I did, but I did a leadership course and people were like, I got some feedback. Like, you're not relatable. Um, uh, and I was like, oh, is that bad? And I realized like there is some power, particularly when you start being a leader and and you're an example for people. It's like, what kind of culture do you want to create? And, you know, I think the only way I was going to probably slow down was that someone like, actually, this is a performance. Like this is an OKR for you. Um, and, but I realized like, it's important, right? Like we all have to support each other. And it's funny you say that because I feel like Salesforce never did a big acquisition when I wasn't on like a family vacation or something. I think my husband's family for like three years was like, what is wrong with her? Um, Every time I'd be taking a vacation, like, is there anything you want to share with me before I buy these slides? But it is very true. And I think the pandemic has taught us to be like three-dimensional people, right? Like I don't shy away now when my kids are in the background because I think there are a bunch of other people who are like, cool, my kids are back here too, right? And and totally. I just think it's helped us on a human level to to relate to each other and understand each other. I think I have better relationships with people than I ever have just because I can't hide. You can't really hide who you are. I know. I think on this call, I've seen both of your husbands, you which was super cool. Just, yeah. Okay. You have. Yeah. I was like, you saw mine. Speaking of office, you moved. I moved. I did. During a pandemic. Who moves for a job today, Gina? What's up with that? <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's funny because I I am one of those people who was like, you know, I know there's a lot of negativity around San Francisco, but like my husband and I decided just before the pandemic, we were like just finishing remodeling a house and we were like, we're going to be those people who raise our kids in the city. Like we're here. It's going to be amazing. And then I got the call from Qualtrics and in the process, like these people are fleeing, they're going to Park City and they're going to um, Denver and Boulder and Austin. And, um, you know, when I was talking to Qualtrics, they're like, well, you know, we're based in Utah, we're based in Provo, Utah, and we'd like to have you be here. And I was like, huh, that's a twist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it was a real twist. And, um, but I kind of looked at it and I was like, you know, this is an opportunity to go live in, in park city, do something different. And, um, you know, I, I think it, I, I hope the company feels like it was a good commitment from me. There were like a few of us who moved from the Bay Area. We were like our own little club kind of. We're like, mm-hmm. okay, we're doing this right. And um, I have not looked back. So I'm actually one of those people in Park City who I think I introduced myself and they're like, oh, did you move here during the pandemic? I'm like, yes, I did. But I had a good reason. I, I work locally. I have a job here. So, um, and that's been amazing. And I think 
um, you know, so many companies now will let people work fully remote. And I think that's fantastic. But I'm I'm excited. I live in a town. I live in a town. (laughs) I live in a town now. I yeah. So good for you. The Colorado girl says, cheers to you and the skiing. I you're gonna love it. <laughs> there we go. We're, we're two people in mountain time. We're, I guess we're on I need to move together. Soon. We're okay. mountain time. Right. So, the- maybe. Yeah. yeah. So be- I know, I know. So before we go, part of this podcast has to do with the world of media. You know, and we've talked to journalists yeah. about kind of their changing world. We've also talked to other tech comms people about, you know, the issues around getting coverage, type of coverage, dealing with this very uncertain environment. Any takeaways you have just based on our current environment when it comes to, let's say, technology, media relations, new trends that you're seeing, new new things that are working, not working? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that that might be obvious to some people, but isn't to a lot of people is to me, it's all about the relationship. And I think there, I remember the days in the late nineties and early two thousands when there were like the universe of tech media was gigantic. And you do, I mean, sometimes we would do a fax last <laughs> like really early in my career to date myself. I'm sorry. What You're going to have to tell the younger one, the younger viewers, what a, what a fax is. What's a fax? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. A fax. You'd have to go to the fax and like upload your press release to <laughs> business wire on a fax machine. So if you think, if you get nervous, like oh uploading God. a press release now, imagine doing it on a fax machine, which I feel like I was always 50, 50 on whether or not I technically could operate that thing. That's what I remember about the fax machine. Do you need a nine on this machine? That's what I remember. We've just really like disengaged so many people who are like, okay, this woman is like, she's a dinosaur. What are they doing talking to her? I mean, I started in PR when you still did mail merges, which to this day, if I see a mail merge, I literally like cringe. But I, so I think it's like, it's a crowded space and I'll I'll kind of give an example, you know, for a while we have data and surely we're not the only team that has data to share. And I personally feel based on what Qualtrics does, like we have a ton of relevant data about what's going on with employees at a macro level. Like how are they feeling about their work environments? Same with customers. Like why are they leaving a particular vendor and going to another? And I think what we were doing was we were like, Hey, we've got this great data. And what we were finding is we would turn up in a story, like, you know, someone would drop our data in there. And I'm like, you know, to me, it's always been, I have a job to do. And I think of a journalist as someone else who has a job to do. And where perfection is, is when we can meet in the middle that I'm able to get what I need to get done, done to, to a degree, right? I'm never going to get my full circle of exactly what I want. Um, and neither are they, but where I can meet in the middle and make it easier. I just think about it like anything else, the way I treat an executive that I'm working with is like, how can I make it as easy as possible for you to do what I'd like you to do, which, you know, just it's, it's, and this isn't like, it's basic, but like, I'd like for you to cover what I have. And I think we have some really interesting ways to think about it. And so even just making the shift of like, don't make them sift through all the data, right? Like give them an angle that they might be interested in. And I think like just really treating people as like, you're in a bunch of noise and with a bunch of people who um, may have a similar product to you. And I, I do, I think this is kind of going back to the Qualtrics thing, but it's like, what's the experience that someone has working with me that's going to want to make them work with me more and use what I have over everyone else's that might also be relevant and good. And so I really do think, you know, VR is, is about relationship. It's about just, you know, making yourself, to me, making yourself 
the best person to work with, the best partner to to a journalist in terms of helping them get a story written. And I think that endures, yeah. right? Like it's going to endure as the media pool gets smaller and smaller. Um, it To me, it's just understanding who you're working with and what they need and just stopping being lazy. I'm a very much of a like less is more person. Like who are the people and the publications that matter? And let's do a really great job with them. And like everyone else, there's going to be someone else who might matter more to them. And like, let's let them have it, but let's do the best at what, at what we're particularly focused on. Well, and relationships may, I think to your point about the shrinking pool of media, so that's why those relationships matter more than ever today, I think. Well, and, and also the relationships grow with you over time, right? Like I definitely yeah. look at some reporters from like CRM Magazine who are now like at Bloomberg and, you know, yeah. uh, people that I've worked with when they were reporters at you know, Business Insider are now like editors at at Fortune. And it's like, we're all growing with each other. And I think the relationships are the most important currency that we have in terms of doing our jobs. And that's why I think, you know, for me, it's like, that's why I do like my team and myself. Like, I like to have those relationships, not to say that other, like your agency couldn't, but I cherish my relationships. And I really try to be super thoughtful about who I'm working with and, you know, how I can help them get their job done a little more easily. So I totally agree with that. I think the best PR people are the ones who realize that we're people yeah, doing a job together. Yeah. And listen, I'm in B2B. I, I don't have as contentious. Like I think like if you're at certain companies right now, it's a little bit harder. You're, you, you are doing a different job yeah. with the press and, totally. you know, B2B it, while not always as sexy mm-hmm. as consumer, it's also not always as sexy as consumer, which is okay. Um, in my, in my world, I'm okay with it. And so <laughs> it's a lot easier uh, here than at, at maybe Facebook. <laughs> they have a different thing. We're going to, we have an upcoming guest that's going to talk all about crisis with us. That's right. I'm super, super excited about that. Well, this has been amazing. Thanks for having me. You are incredible. We're so excited to watch the continued success of you and Qualtrics. And I think you gave our listeners a lot to think about. So I think this is fantastic. And thank you for coming on our little podcast. Thank you. And I'm excited to learn from all the other people that you're having on and, and listen to your podcast. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Just Checking In. Follow us at, at Kiana Corliss and at Rebecca Buckman. Just Checking In is a StudioPod media production. Our producer is Teresa Buchanan, and our show coordinators are Nicole Genova and Alex Karkos. 